You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. If it's Erev Shabbos Kodesh, this must be Oris Odoraisa. Most of our listeners are noticing, of course, that there's now uh, a gap between when we record and when we drop. And because of it, although Rabbi Yisif Gavriel Bechofer, who I'm here with, was really interested in speaking about many of the facets of Pinchas and his Kanoyas and what that means. Most of you will be hearing this really post Parshas Pinchas. The word Kanoyas, the way it's used for Pinchas, Shekones Kinosi, the Targum doesn't have a translation for that. He just uses, he just, just like a Ateris Vindivine. The Targum just restates the word Kino, which, which indicates to me that this term Maybe Vatikana Rochoba Achoisa also he just uses the word kinah. It's a very difficult term to translate, and I think it really underlies the difficulty in dealing with Pinchas and this whole parsha, and especially the ramifications for today. Well, I, I normally understand kinah of, of uh, Pinchas straight up. I'm sure there is a relationship between the word kana with a hay and kana with an olive, and uh, this is something which um, I actually. Heard many years ago from Robert Eisenberg, from the name of a fellow named Rebaron Marcus, who was a little of a controversial fellow. He said that in any Shorish of three letters, there actually is a Shorish of two letters, which is the Shorish of the Shorish. And the third letter is to differentiate between those two letters and other two letters. So the word ken, right, means a nest. And hmm. I think when we say in Shemonesi, konehakol means that Hashem nests everything in its proper place. And that really has to do with the Mida of uh, uh, Bina, right? Because the Mida Bina is to uh, put things in the proper place. That's how you understand things, by categorizing them. So just like the Chane Akol is to put things in the proper place, when you buy something, you're putting it in a new place. It's used to nest over there, now it nests over here. And also the Kana with an olive means to restore equilibrium. Something was uh, was out of its nest, and now it's going back to the proper nest. So I think that Kona in this sense means to actually, like I said, restore equilibrium, something that has dissonance. And this dissonance has to be resolved. And that's what a person who's Mekane is. Now, obviously, some people are Mekane things in ways which are not restoring things, but rather creating more dissonance. And that's why Kina is a very dangerous thing. But the proper Kina, the Kanoa's Kina Singh, that's putting things back in their proper place. So how would you explain Rochel being Makana Bileya? Is that she wanted elements of, of Leia into her life so she could restore her balance as a person? The question is whether there's Lishvach or Lekanai. But uh, yes, in other words, that Kina means that you are. she felt a tremendous sense of imbalance in her life, which was that she didn't have kids, right? And that was the, uh, the she wanted to have that balance. That's if it's a positive. But if the nexus of that kina is Bachaisa, then you wonder if you will ever really get the balance that you need. Because as you're as you're basically reflecting and, and zeroing in on the other, visa as opposed to within yourself, then you might have a problem. Again, roughly Mena, we don't want to cast aspersions on her, but it's possible that this was a growth process that she needed to have. To me, it seemed like Pinchas was giving the element that was missing in Aaron's Ophi. Aaron, despite what 
what you sent me from Vinnie Friedman quoting Chassam Seifer, that Aaron knew how to be right of Sholem when he needed to. You sent me something from uh, from Vinnie Friedman, who is uh, someone who was the Rashiv of Araisa, and um, he quoted the Chassam Seifer that right of Sholem means sometimes you have to actually kick Sholem out. You have to actually pursue it and throw it out and not accept it. And if that was the meat of our own, I don't see it in the Torah, right? What we have from our own, the moments of, of our own surah are at the ego and the way he reacts to, to the revolution of Kairah. Neither of those do you see our own as a kanoi. I, it would seem parkert, as we know, Khur had that, right? Khur, who, according to the Medrash, dies in order not to allow Avodah to happen, he's the Kanoi. And it would seem like Pinchas, in a way, seems to be downloading or tapping into an element that, that Kahuna was missing. And in that way, I understood Pinchas as being something a little bit different. He was the first pure Kanoi that we had, and he actually... He, he developed that kanoyas from elements that he learned from Moshe Rabbeinu's reactions at the ego and other things that allowed him to really be the, the conduit of the idea of kanoyim poigenbo. One of the problems, Rabbi Yosef, similar to many of the problems that we have in our Western mentality when we try to align it with what's in the sources, is that we have a translation problem. You in West Hempstead, I in Memphis, we were translated ideas to us that shalom is peace, right? That the word shalom is peace, right? And, and, and we know what peace is because I grew up in the 60s and, and I heard about what peace was, the, the peace movement, peace brother, right? And that's not really what shalom means. Shalom, of course, taking a page out of your book that you started with, is about shalomness. It's about recognizing how we are all part of a unit that could work together. Right? There's something about the supernal sense of Sholem that exists in the that can be down to us. It's not about, you know, throwing the guns away and, and the handshake. It's, it's, there's something more to it. You know, and again, I think it cheapens the idea when we when we keep on saying, I want peace. And, and therefore, you know, I, I think there is a, a conflation of the Western value of peace and the Torah's description of, of what Sholem is supposed to be. Well, wait, 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 I know, I understand the point you're trying to make, but when it says that uh, in Parshish, right? And when last week's Parsha, Moshe Rabbeinu even proposed Shalom to Sichon. How do you entice that up in lieu of what you're saying right now? Isn't that a very conventional understanding of Shalom? Well, I, I see the Dordea as operating on two levels. You know, one level is, yeah, let us pass through. But the other part is really the ability to be mala them and to shape them by the interaction. We know that Klal Yisrael especially the Dordea, who were Mavar and the Nitzaitzes of Mitzrayim, and even their children, who sort of picked that up from them, were living batteries of being Masak in the world. So Sholem, when we carry with Sholem, would be, uh, would, would, would be an alteration. It would be a, it would be a, a, a spiritual 
uplifting. And when we make shalom with the Goyim, when we make shalom, just like with the Shiva Umais, if we're going to make shalom with them, what's going to happen is there's going to be a transformation of that element of bra within them that's going to be dovic to us that we are going to restore. That's going to be the Shlemus. Again, you, you tell me, it doesn't shalom come from the Shairish of Shlemus? Yeah, it's the, it's the, but Lashlim means to, to make two things shalom with each other. In other words, it's not to make the thing shalom into itself. That's what Aaron did. Aaron is oweb shalom, but who says he's the ose shalom? He loves it and he's right of it. I mean, he fails in the end. Well, it's like, even though you're going to fail, is that the shot? That's your life? We talked a number of weeks ago about being mu'ushar and not being mu'ushar, right? Sometimes the struggle that you're after, although you never achieve, and maybe you're even missing the elements that allow you to achieve it, but you still are an oev and roidev. The other example is love, right? The word love. Ava is love. No, Ava is, is, is different. That's why you know, people have problems, I think, because of this language issue. The word love is so tied up with these Western romantic ideals that maybe Shakespeare was responsible for. But are, is, is that what Ava is? Again, is that what Ava Hashem is? If you look in the Rambam, the Rambam doesn't say that. So even though it's true, there is a bursting desire to connect, but it's not necessarily what we would call loving. The next thing that you sent me is everybody's favorite shtick of the Meir And that is, of course, that Pinchas was a nar, he says. Pinchas acted within what he thought was the best thing, but he didn't realize how deep and powerful connections are. He, 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 he was superficial. What could lead a tzaddik like Zimri to be so drawn to this princess, this alien princess. Perhaps what was going on here was something de- that was underneath it was the connection to Zimri and, and Cosby was really, I think he quotes the Kisfeari, he quotes the idea that we find that Cosby and Zimri are actually Nizgalgil in the, in the most wonderful Basub that we know in Talmudic literature, which is Rachel Baskal Basua and Rabbi Akiva. He says that Kihi Aisar Bazuga Meshesh is Mebracious. Right. And I, I, I believe in the, the Meir Shilech that I have, which has the notes of uh, Rabbi Rukham Liner's Haino of Racha. And I think he quotes this, uh, this statement, I think from Shara Gilgulim, from Rabbi Chaim Vital, that Zimri and Cosby were actually Neshomis that needed to be Misachim. And that Pinchas, although he was well-intentioned, uh, was a nar in that way. And a Kaddish Baruch Hu doesn't mind that. Because in the Ishbitzer way of thinking, everything is right. Everything can somehow turn into the right way uh, eventually. Even though it seems to be dressed in the clothes of evil, I don't know what to make of it. I, look, I love the Ishbitzer, like you do. I love his story. I love his history. Uh, the fact that he was Pelish from the Kotzkill. The fact that he recognized that he had to leave the Kotzka, that there was these two poles of, of, of demanding, that the Kotzkers demand for clear, definitive MS was really causing the Ishbitzer uh, a sense of, uh, of discord. <laughs> he was Makana, <laughs> as you would say, in order to find the balance within himself. 
the folks here have to know that no no one knows why the Egypt is still left, right? Anything we say is speculation, right? Right, but it was considered, you know, he was the one that would somehow be, to take the mantle further. Right, he was right. the one who, with the, because his, his, his ability to speak and to entrance was something the Kotzker himself did not have. Rabunim, and there was the Kotzkil, and Rabbi Mendel of Kotzk, and there was Ishmael, Mordechai Yosef. Now, when he leaves, and that's about the year 1840, and, and the Ishmaelites are, of course, attracted incredible people. First and foremost, in most people's knowledge, of course, is Ratzadik. But you also had a label Egil. And you had, you, you, you had a group around the Ishmaelites that was really, in a way, the best and the brightest that were entranced by this type of dialectic that the Ishmaelites was able to find. So this really took the Maimarim and gave it a spin that had never been seen before. He's not worried with the Maimare Chazal. He basically, you know, jumps into the Indian. He'll use maybe one. And basically what he develops is almost his own Midrashic interpretations. The Ishbitzer is an incredible fountain of enigma and difficulty. But also when you know what he means, you feel great. I tie my tzitzis, my tzitzis, like the raziner. As I figure, if I was a chassid, I would either be chabad or a raziner, because the closest thing to Reb right, is going down to Reb Tzadik and Ram Razin. So, therefore, I tie my tzitzis. I, I have to tell you that after the Ishbitzer died, the Kotzker was still alive, and there was a shlichus, a mishlachas, that was sent to Rav Leibola and Rav Tzodik to come to, come to the Kotzka. And it's, I think Rav Leibola Eger did, but I, I'm not sure if Rav Tzodik did. I think Rav Tzodik might have felt that he, that he couldn't. He never caught the Kotzka. Because in many ways, Rav Tzodik's Bikias and Shlita on every source of Taylor Shabalpeh is the type of thing that the Kotzka salivated about. The Shavira between the Kotzka and the Ishbitzer was, was, was in a way... Uh, startling and disconcerting and painful for everybody involved. But what it led to was not only the Kutzker's sort of like turning inward and, and, and having his, his only being, you know, uh, he wasn't going to come out, but he also, behind that curtain, pulled the strings to train the real epitome of Hasidic greatness, which is the Avni Nezer. Because the Avni Nezer has... In many ways, you know, he can match, maybe he doesn't have the Bikiya Satsuma of Rav Tzodik, but he represented what the Kutzker loved, which is, and, and this is what he told his, his father, he told Rav Zev Nochum Bornstein, do not allow him to be exposed to Zoyar and Kabbalistic ideas yet. Let him be Mole, the Godosh, Bishas, Upoiskim, the Medrashim, the Medrashim Hagluyim, and when he is Nishtalim, he will then take to these Makairis and he will be Shoywet like a Melech in them. And it's clear that when we look, at, even though it's true, there are so many other of the Divrechayim, Arim, I think it's hands down, and let's put Rav Nachum Zem in there, that most people, would, when they're thinking about great Chesidusha Shuvisvarim, the Avni Nezer is probably number one on most people's list. You know, we have the Torah, of course, in the Klisheni of the Shemi Shmuel. 
Isn't the Shem Mishmu in many ways one of the most accessible places, even more than, much more than Preet Zadik and the Sifri of Tzadik? The Shem Mishmu in many ways is, is, is the Sefer that is Ma'achet Klal Yisrael. As much as I don't use it that often, but I see it quoted so often, and, and the Hezbeirim are so clear that I think it represents that straight line. It, it, there's, there's elements of Ishbitz, but it sort of skips over that. And I think in that way, this is what, this is what we're granted. And I think it's, it, it allows the neo-Hasidic movement is built on Shemi Shmuel's and Svasemis's, right? Svasemis and Shemi Shmuel. Oh, sorry, I'm sorry. Because Rav Kook is interrupted. Right, but, but, it's, but these forums became now the neches of the, the, as you say, the Mizrahi Hebra, the Hardalniks. And, and that's really a, a gift that happens from that part of Chassidus. You don't see them quoting the Toldus Yaakov Yosef. They don't quote the Degel Machne Ephraim. They don't quote the Rishoner, right? If you look at, at, at what's happened, if you go to the website of, of Gush and you look at the Machshova part of the website, those are the Sfarim that are quoted primarily. And again, it's, I think it all is really a byproduct. Uh, I, 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 I really feel it's all tethered back to the Kotzker and Rabunim before him. Let's talk about the last thing that you sent me before our discussion today. This is something which uh, I saw because it's based on Rabbi Rab, Rab Avram Elia about uh, the Muhammad on Bam Molek Midor Dor. And Rabbi Avram Elia has this piece in which he says, you know, we dafka read uh, about Muhammad Samolek on Shabbos. And we can't just go out and take our swords and go start killing them in order to show that this is something which is not the Luchatchila of Yadus. This is something which is the so blaze brayer we do. And nobody should have a taiba to me moicha amalek. I heard once, I don't know if Cook actually says this because I can never find it again, but he said that the tzadikim amitim are even with star mechiyos amalek. Do you remember something like that from Rav Cook? It sounds like Rav Cook would have said that. Then he brings out a very interesting thing from Rav Gustman, which uh, you before our program said uh, you're not so sure it's uh, true. Yeah, well, well. first of all, again, so Rabbi Ramelio seems to be, and again, I know he's your hero, and Ikhfasayira is clearly a very important work, but I think you need to put Rabbi Ramelio's comments in context of everything that was written about Mechia Samolik in the 19th and then early 20th century, including, of course, Rav Shamshan Hirsch's writings and his German commentary on the Torah, which was basically we are not into killing and destroying lives and that this is not the ideal. He knew that his safer would be writ would be read eventually by students. And you can't say a Dover Shane and Iskabel. It was almost in the nineteenth and now the twentieth century, especially the writer of this essay uh, after the period of the, the, the century of blood and, 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 and murder that occurred in the 20th century, it's very politically incorrect. And, and perhaps it goes against what we consider the best parts of Yiddishkeit to talk about Mechias Amalek in a positive way and killing the Germans and killing the Nazis. Which is that about this, which is. I think that killing Nazis was a tremendous thing. I don't know, but I don't know if killing Germans was. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a good question because you see today that when I saw for the first time the picture of the Israeli flag imposed on the Brandenburg Gate, which is a famous picture, 
some, I don't know if it was uh, Yom HaShoah, Yom HaTzmut, whenever the Germans did that. So I thought, you know, I can't say Mochelach, Mochelach, Mochelach. It's not for me to be Michael. But I thought, it's a different Germany, right? It's different. In other words, yes, Nazis were an aberration, and you can call that Amalek, and you, but you can't say about all Germans. No, I, I, I'm, Rabbi Yosef, as someone who has the right to be, to feel, because I was deprived of uncles and aunts, I am on your side, and I've said this many times on this platform, that I don't believe that we have to have a sin against Germany. Again, I, I'm, I'm with you as far as that goes. On the other hand, when Rav Guzman, who we haven't talked about enough, we talked about Iluyim in, the, in, in some of our, this season, but Rav Guzman deserves his own show. And the same for Kontorosi, Kontorosi Ashiurim is to me one of the, the last great masterpieces of, 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 of Talmudic learning of the 20th century. Uh, it really is, uh, again, the pieces are, are, are constructed with such precision and care. The, the Hezbeirim are, are, are done so exactly that it almost blows out of the water many of the other Achreinish type of svarim. One of the things that Rav Guzman, uh, as he survived, as it's mentioned in this essay, is that he escaped the Nazis' clutches and he joined the partisans. And the condition was they weren't just going to let him sit in the back and find a, a piece of shas or, or right over his chidushim. He needed to be an active participant in what the partisans were doing, which was an underground guerrilla army, ragtag as it was, but armed with weapons that they would go and, and, and kill Germans. And uh, he would say later in his life that he actually was Mekayim with his two hands, Mechias Amalek. And I, I, I wasn't there when he said it. But it would seem to me that he didn't say it with tears in his eyes. Right? It would seem to me that, that he said it. Remember, he was, they killed his children, right? His, his son was killed by the Nazis. In front of his eyes, if I recall correctly. He saw in front of him. Yes. Was there, was there anger and vengeance and kanoyas when he was killing those Nazis? When he joined those partisans and he, and he, and he, was, he used that rifle? to ambush the, the, these Nazi soldiers? How could we don him if there wasn't? But I believe that when he said in Shir that he was Makayim the Mitzvah, he said it with a simcha, that he was Makayim, not just what Rav Elias says, that, you know, it's good that we do it on Shabbos because we can't be Makayim it and we have to recognize that it's all in Machshava. I think Rav Guzman felt that he had the schus, as terrible as his life was, you know, again, looking at it as the Ishbitzer would, the Dover came out that he was able to be Makayim that mitzvah, that mitzvah that was Muznach, was now Niskayim by a Godel Adar, by somebody who had been Mishamish Gedele Oilam. That hadn't happened. Isn't that a tremendous Zach? It is a tremendous Zach. And I agree with you that had some of the Bali Musa survived to the time of the Holocaust, they would have reassessed, just like Rav Cook would have had to reassess, and Rav Shamsh have reassessed their notion that the society was you know, evolving positively over time. Yes, there was a major setback. I mean, the Briskerov always quoted the Yershalmi that you know, Amolek is who makes himself Amolek, that there is, there yeah, is yeah. this... Yershaber said, applied it to the Arabs. Right. Yershaber applied it to the Arabs. Now, was he only saying this because he was speaking to the Mizrahi audience and they needed to hear it? 
Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, it's not, and nobody can say that that's a shot in, in, in Amalek. It's a just, come on. So, you know what? You might be able to get away with, with Rabbi Yashabel because yeah. as we know, he was a, a multifaceted chameleon in many ways, right? And, and, and even though his Talmudim will say it's all part of his greatness, he had a capacity to give over to the audience what they needed to hear. But So, you know, it sounded like if, if we trust him as a narrator, as a, as a, a person who is in the, a link in this brisk Masaira, why would Rechaim have to have said it? Uh, so you're saying good. So I'll tell you, there's a famous story about the Briskorov. Briskorov tells the story that said, what's Nafkimina between me and Reborah Bear? So he said, Nafkimina between me and Reborah Bear is if Rebchaim would say, the Tata would say that a table is like a cow. So I, I would come along and say, a table has four legs, just like a cow has four legs. And so something which connects it, just like a cow is connected. Reborah Bear would come and milk the table. <laughs> so sometimes you understand, people understand Reb Chaim as like we were a So let's see, Chaim like the Briskarov. And I'm sure that the Briskarov would understand this thing that uh, anybody who attacks Jewish people is Amalek, Azoivi, he would understand. One second, let, let, let's say it better. It's not just the attack, it's been indicated by many studies that the reason why the Nazis, Yamach Shemam, lost the war was because the incredible efforts they put into killing all the Jews. The, they, the monies that they spent, the manpower that they spent, there was a chance for them to really stave off the Normandy invasion and the other attacks, but they were still, no, Hitler still insisted, we've got to keep those crematoria going. That money and effort and energy really, in a way, put them over under a barrel that they were going to that they were going to lose the war, which does not apply to Arabs, obviously, because we have these Arabs in Dubai and in Casablanca now who are buddy buddy with us. So Zogan, like probably the uh, some of the religious Zionists want to say, I know my uh, I have a friend like this who says shoot them all. But I saw this week a a, a silent little video. As I mentioned on another platform, usually when you see silent films, you're expecting Charlie Chaplin to come out with a cane or a Keystone cop to chase you. Here was a film without sound of a man escaping a a vehicle and walking around with a knife in Tel Aviv, trying to stab as many people as he could. So what, what maniacal aspect is there? And that's what that's what the Rav, the way he explains Rav Chaim, that when they when they when their hatred is self destructive, that it's so strong that it actually kills them because they can't stand that this person is alive. That's a molek that has somehow infected that person's mind because it doesn't make sense from a human perspective. A, a hatred beyond anything you see in the South. Anything that you saw in the antebellum slave period, it, it really is something that is mystical. And therefore, I think even Rechaim knew that it's something that's yoyred within a certain, and it jumps. It's almost like a, it's a, like a, it's a, it's a, it's a, almost a demon that sort of like jumps from body to body. One of the podcasts I do listen to 
is the Titva podcast. And they want, and Tevi Troy, <laughs> Tevi Troy, who of course worked on the Bush administration, wrote an essay recently where he talked about that it wasn't just the fact that the Jew hatred at the end led to the surrender and total decimation of Germany. It was also even beforehand, the Jew hatred meant that the best and brightest minds who could have produced Ala Verna von Braun, a bomb, were gone. The people that were involved in the Manhattan Project were incredibly represented by Jews on many, many levels. So the Jews that were driven out of that country and were told that they were enemies ended up working for us. Now, so here you are, you're driving out your best people, right? You know, the English, of course, have an anti-Semitism where they can, you know, keep the Jews around because we need them, right? They're going to do all this stuff. They're going to work on Christmas. They're going to they're be the financiers. We hate their guts. We're not going to let them into our, into our country clubs. And behind their backs, we're going to say snide remarks. But we're not going to be like, you know, we're, we're not going to be like Cromwell. And, uh, you know, and, and, and get rid of them. We need them. They're good. When you don't even have that, when your hatred is so intense, that's what I think Rav Chaim means in terms of Amalek. And I can accept that. I think even Rabbi Ram Elia could maybe accept that. You know, he didn't live to see the Holocaust. But I think he might have accepted this interpretation because the, the, the behavior is so Unnatural. In fact, I would say even from what you, from, I bring Araya, the admissions of guilt and pain and shame are so authentic that it's a Pella that it existed by the grandfather. <laughs> what else could it have been except somehow the growth of Amalek? Mehechitesi, that it can't infect some other uh, country, some other people. I, I, we've gone very far afield from your from Pinchas. Yes, we have. <laughs> yes, well, that's what you get here. You get a uh, you get a smattering of current events. You get a little bit of gossip about the Yeshiva Shahakin raid, a, a great dose of tomfoolery <laughs> as well. And we try to do it for you. And as I've said over the last couple of weeks, think about keeping the, uh, the Rizka going, that fire going. We will uh, continue here. As, 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 especially under the very kind uh, largesse of our de facto sponsor, which of course is the greatest of the Jewish provisions company, the A&H Uberalis. So take advantage before the nine days, before Achilas Bosser becomes uh, something that is uh, that we that we are noyig to refrain from. Take care, everybody. We'll catch you next time. Be well. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 